Well, welcome again, everyone, to our continuation of this collection of sermons we are calling Till Memphis Looks Like Heaven. And I hope and I pray, even as we jump in on today, maybe today is your first time and that's great and wonderful, but we got to build off of where we started last week. You see, some of the preaching and teaching that we do here in the church is that all of the series, yes, they're together, but they stand alone very easily and independently. And while today most certainly does, and if you're watching this, listening to this, however it may be coming to you, the truth is you can get the heart of God, the heart of his word for today, just by leaning in right now. But to get the full scope of everything this entails to let the weight of what I'm about to say sit on you like it should. You really need to have the foundation that we discovered in part one of Till Memphis Looks Like Heaven. Because today begins the instruction. Today begins the calling. Today begins the challenge because of the call of God to you and to me. I wanna welcome those of you who joined in part one, whether online or in person, back to your calling. I want to welcome you to what God has called us to do. Because as believers with a faith in Jesus, put here and placed here in this earth, like Esther would say, for such a time as this, we are his ambassadors to watch over and work in the place that he's put us. We are called to seek the good, the welfare, to build up, to, to not tear down, to, to plant, to care for, to reside here well. We are to have a heart that moves us to say and to do, to bring life to our city until Memphis looks like heaven. I want to welcome you again to your calling. And as I welcome you to your calling, I also want to remind you or maybe inform some of you that this calling comes with responsibilities. And today I want to begin to unpack those responsibilities and what that responsibility looks like for you and for me in our world today. First, I want to lean in specifically to our words. To the words that you and I say particularly about the place that we reside. And for many of us, I know there are people watching that listen from other parts of the country, other places, your place then. But for the majority of us, that space, that place right here, right now in this moment in time is our beloved city, Memphis, Tennessee. People love to talk about Memphis, don't they? They love to talk about Memphis. I mean, more specifically, they love to get their jokes off about Memphis, don't they? Oh, they, they, there are people who cannot, will not pass up a good opportunity to, uh, you know, sort of uh, jab at our fair city. To add insult or injury to reality to bypass remorse or grieving or work to change by saying stuff like, well, that's Memphis for you. It's funny how that becomes the response out of some people, even people who call themselves 
believers, people who call themselves Jesus followers, something negative, something tragic, something bad, something unfortunate happens in our fair city. And they say, that's Memphis for you. Somebody shares that uh, maybe their car got broken into. That's Memphis for you. So, so somebody talks about a business that closes. That's Memphis for you. Somebody communicates something difficult or disheartening that goes on, and they say, that's Memphis for you. Just watch. Watch the comments section when crime happens in a suburban or outlying area. Watch it happen, and the comments section will be filled and riddled with people telling the perpetrator, go back to Memphis like all crime is sourced in our city, that all grievance and all wrongdoing is sourced here, that apparently in the utopia that is an outlying area, they don't have anyone that does anything wrong ever. Out of the same mouth will come love for the Grizzlies and hate for the city that the Grizzlies bear the name of. Out of the same mouth, people will say they can't wait to leave our city while also saying you should come to the thing that they're doing in the city. What is this? This duplicity, this inconsistency, this desire to, with our words, tear down and pull down and break apart the place that God has us to care for to watch over, to build up and not tear down like Jeremiah said, to maybe be moved with such passion and compassion that like our savior was, it would move us to tears. Furthermore, for you and I as people of faith, why are we okay with it? Why do we offer a chuckle of commendation when people say those kind of things? Why do we heart or share or like or encourage their idiocy and their contempt? Why have we grown numb to the fact that this happens not every once in a while, not just at the grandest scale of atrocities that would go on, but every single day? There are social media accounts, news outlets, and more that literally thrive and make their money off of the disdain that people have for our fair city. Because they know if they share that story, it'll get reshared and reshared and reshared and reshared, tweeted and retweeted and tweeted and retweeted. That people will get their eyeballs to it. They will type into the comments section. Why are we okay with the accentuation of negative talk that people love to do towards our city? Today, I want to spend a few moments talking about your words and mine. Because they are significant. And there's a source to what you say and I say and we all say 
that um, must have the light turned on to it. And while addressing the source, we must understand the, the significance to bring seismic differences to our community through our words. And so today I have a very simple sermon outline for you. For those of you choosing to take notes, those of you who are going to use our website, or maybe you're just going to write this down. A very simple outline as we unpack, and maybe for you I get incredibly personal. Not to condemn you, not to shame you, but to help you see that you and I have a calling. We got introduced to it. Till Memphis looks like heaven. This is our call to build up, not tear down. To seek the welfare of the place God has planted us. To work it and watch over it. But some of us think our work only happens with our hands. But we forget the significance of what comes out of our mouth. So today, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? I want you to know today in all situations and in, on all occurrences, but also including connected to the conversation that we have about our city, that your words are powerful. Your words are powerful. My words are powerful. The words that we say positively or negatively, the words that we say that build up or tear down, they are powerful. It's the wisdom writer in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21, who puts it this way. He says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. That literally out of your mouth can come life and you've experienced it. You've experienced it when someone compliments you. You've experienced the joy. You've experienced the, I'm about to wear this outfit again. You've experienced the, I think I'm pretty good at this. When someone uses their words and chooses to speak well, chooses to impart life into you. Because he was right, life and death. You've also experienced someone opening their mouth and tearing you down. Making you feel like less than a human making you never want to wear that outfit again. Whoever said that words don't hurt, well, they never had much said to them. I'm just convinced of that. There are these old adages, and sometimes they are true, but sometimes they're just a lie. That sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Lies! I remember stuff people said to me a decade ago. I could take you to the spot. I could sit you down. I could walk you through the conversation. I could regurgitate to you the key points that they were trying to make, whether it was to build me up or tear me down, but particularly if it was to tear me down. Some of you are thinking, that's because you petty. Well, maybe, because I am a little petty or a lot petty. But also because words have a way of branding themselves onto our hearts and our identity to where it shapes us and molds us and forms us in a way that becomes unable to be disconnected from who we are. Sometimes the confidence we carry into a room, into a season of life, 
comes from words that have been spoken to us and over us. But sometimes the shame and the smallness that we carry into a season of life comes from words that were spoken to us too. See, with words we can bless and we can build and we can bring life, and with them we can demonize, derail, and destroy. Because there's a choice in and with our words. You can bring life or you can bring death. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, which makes then the words that come out of your mouth and my mouth powerful. Please understand today, though, words aren't powerful because they come from powerful people. Words are powerful because they come from people. Sometimes we like to hold people who have a big following to a different standard than ourselves. We think that they have to be very careful about what we say, but I can say whatever because, well, not that many people know me. That's not what the scripture says. That may be what society tells you. Cancel them, oh, they don't matter. They only got 100 followers on. No, no, no. Society may tell you that, but the scripture says life and death are in the power of your tongue. Every time, every person who would open their mouth, I don't care whether you feel like, like you are the type of person that everyone knows or you are very unknown. I don't care whether you feel like you have tons of friends or very few, whether you have lots of followings on socials and all this kind of stuff, or you post stuff to crickets, it feels like. It don't matter. Words aren't powerful because they come from powerful people. Words are powerful because they come from people. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. And if you're listening to me today, you're taking this in. You need to understand that the words that come out of your mouth are powerful. The words that you say about your city are powerful. Whether you say them into a microphone or as a joke to a friend. Whether they are texted to one person or tweeted to the whole wide world. Whether it's said in public or in private, all the words in all the places, in all their various forms, carry weight. And we must soberly recognize the power of what it is we say. Because your words are powerful. My words are powerful. Our words are powerful that are recorded and our words are powerful that are said and we think that nobody will ever remember them. There are things that you remember that were said to you in private five years ago and you haven't been able to get them out of your mind. You know why? Because your words are powerful. And it wasn't even because of who they came from. It was just simply what they said. Your words are powerful when they come to speaking to your city and over your city. Not just because you're a significant part of the city. Not just because you're some leader in this city. Or you aren't. Doesn't matter. Your words are powerful. Would you, somebody write that in the chat? Somebody just needs to say this to themselves sitting in the den right now watching this sermon. Or maybe around a kitchen table, in a car, wherever you may be. Just say, my words are powerful. But not only are your words powerful, please write this down as well. Your words are revealing. Your words are revealing. Your words show some things about you 
that I don't care what you say to try to curb or correct it. Your words reveal what's actually going on. And this isn't my thought. No, 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 no. This is Jesus's thought. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is teaching on this very idea. And in verses 10 and 11, and then in verses 17 to 20, he addresses this head on. Listen to what he says. He says, summoning the crowd, Jesus told them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. They were having this conversation with religious leaders who were very concerned with making sure people didn't eat something unclean. Because they said, if you eat something unclean, then you have become unclean. And Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. In verse 17, he says, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and sexual immoralities and thefts and false testimonies and slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Friend, what I want you to understand today is that your words are significant because they reveal what's in your heart. Your words are significant because they give testimony and testament to how you really feel. I know we love to say when we pop off or when we say something and that wasn't received or we say something and we know it was hurtful. We know it was demeaning. We know it wasn't of God. There was no Christ in that. We love to say, oh, I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. That just came out without your filter on. Or it passed through and around your filter. And you, you normally try to curb and control. You normally try to make sure that you don't say those types of things out loud because you don't know how they'll be received. But that one slipped. Hear me. God's not concerned with your filter. He's concerned with what's in your heart. Some of us think somehow we are succeeding with the words if we could just close our mouth and not say negative, not say bad, not, I'm just going to bite my tongue. Can I tell you, I don't think God is as concerned about that action as he is getting to the root of the problem. What's in your heart? See, I think God and your grandmama would disagree on a thing. Say, grandmama, what's wrong with grandmama? Listen. Grandmama told you, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. And while that might be decent advice to keep the peace, while that might be decent advice to win friends and influence people, I think God would push that envelope a little further and say, if you don't have anything good to say, that may mean there's nothing good in your heart towards them towards that place, towards what I'm trying to do there. And if there's nothing good in your heart there, why? Maybe the reason for some of you, you can't speak well of our city. You can't speak well of the place that God has planted you to work and watch over in this season of your life. Maybe part of the reason is because when you look into your heart about this place, 
you don't have anything good there. This isn't about what's going on out here and how you report on it. This is about what's going on in here and what is being constructed, what you are choosing to see. It's funny, for years we have, in our start gathering, had this question we ask people. We ask it very early on. If you've never joined us for start, you should. We do it the first Sunday of every month, right after our second service in person. We serve you lunch. It's a great time to get connected, start participating in the church. But we begin by trying to get to know who's in the room, and we ask a couple of questions. And one of those questions is just this. What is something you love about Memphis? And we hear a wide variety of answers on this. I mean, sometimes we hear, uh, you know, really, really great things and people just love the city. Oh, they just go on and on and on. Some people, they try to bat a little more Swiss. They're like, man, you know, I, mean, I don't know if I like love it. Love, I mean, I love the food. <laughs> you know, I love the food. That'll work. Like, and then there are other people who have a, have a hard time. And it could be because they're new to the city. It could be because they have some disdain within them towards the city for one reason or another. One that I'm going to get to in just a second. But I remember there was this one time, it was a couple of years, maybe about a year ago, and uh, some of y'all know Courtney Muldrow. Um, she hosts our first five many times, sometimes the news, and uh, Courtney helps us uh, coordinate Start. She's one of our presenters in there. And Courtney was doing this particular thing and going around the room, and she got to this one gentleman, and it was like, well, you know, go through the questions, and he was like, well, what's the last one? He's like, what's something you love about Memphis? And he said, I don't love nothing about Memphis. He said... He said, if I could afford it, I'd leave here and never come back. And Courtney was like, as he's going on and on and on, as you know people do, Courtney was like staring a hole through me. Because she's like, Michael, stay seated. <laughs> like, Michael, don't go back there and punch the old dude, okay? Like, we don't need this on the 10 o'clock news. Pasta uh, hits person in newcomer's class as they start disrespecting me. Like, that's just not the headline we need right now. And I stay seated. I did, I did, I did. But it's funny how even saying something positive about our city is so challenging for some people. Why is that? Why might there be nothing good in your heart towards the place that you're in? Maybe it's because that's what you were handed. Say, like handed. Hear me. We are all reared and raised, and we do not have very much control over that. You don't have control over the zip code that you're born into. You don't have control over the people biologically who are assigned to be your mother and father and whether or not they step into that role, not biologically, but relationally and practically, whether they do that well or not. You don't have any control over that. You don't have control over how they see the world and go about informing you on the world that they see. We cannot control that which we are handed. But we do control what it is we hand to others. 
We do control what we, as we get a little older, what we, as we maybe become teenagers and young adults and start thinking for ourselves, as we become adults of our own and we are passing on to others, we are passing on to another generation. We're passing on to our own children. We're passing on to our own spouse. We're passing on to our own family and friends and networks. We do control what we hand forward. And what happens far too often and I think it happens in the name of family sometimes or in the name of tradition sometimes is we allow horrible realities to sit in our heart that were handed to us. We allow horrible stereotypes, horrible prejudices to be passed on from one generation to the next and we cover it all under the this is how I was raised. Because we love grandmama or uncle or our sister or our mother or our father or whomever. We never allow it to be checked or corrected or sifted through what God's word actually says. We never allow it to be changed into something that actually looks like Christ. We just simply pass on what we were handed. And the truth is, if you never allow it to be sifted through the truth of God's word, to be purified like only he can, what will happen is your heart will become calcified. It'll become hardened and never change because what you were handed, even though it may not have been right, you never brought it to the light to be cleansed. See, I learned this personally relatively early in life, and I thank God for the revelation early in life. But I learned it connected to race, specifically, for me and my life. See, I grew up hearing things, being told things, being taught, if you will, not in lesson form, but in practice, in habit, in lifestyle, about people who were not white, particularly from my biological mother and grandfather who were around me a lot in my growing up. I learned hate. I learned discrimination. I learned racism. And ultimately, I came to see that what they were trying to hand me was not only untrue, but ungodly in Rome. Not to dive too deep, but to help you understand the realities of what I'm talking about. I mean, out of the mouths of the people who were supposed to be my influence, I never heard black and brown people referred to in ways of dignity or positivity. I was allowed to watch shows like Full House and Saved by the Bell and Boy Meets World because the characters involved were primarily white. But I was told I can't watch those blank shows that maybe I enjoyed that were The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or Family Matters or sister, sister, you never knew how much I meant. Like, I wasn't allowed to watch those in 
public, I had to sneak and watch those. Not because their content was bad, but because the characters of the show who were the stars weren't white. This is what I was handed. It was fine to go eat at El Porton. We ate at El Porton a lot. But I would also be in the vehicle with my grandfather, listening to him speak so disparagingly and so fueled with hatred and racism toward our Latino brothers and sisters. I was allowed to have people spend the night at my house if they were white. I was told that my friends who weren't white wouldn't want to spend the night at my house, even though they did. They were not allowed. I could go on and on and on for hours on end with anecdotal story. I could say things that would make you cringe that I just, they were just the common conversation in my house. But by the grace of God, and quite honestly, the maturity that every single one of us has to grow up in as a human being, I learned that what I was being handed was not right. So today my life looks very different. If you ever wonder why it's important to me that our church is in the city and looks like the city, part of it's because of what I was handed. And I had to swing the pendulum the other way because it is not true and it is not right. It's what I was handed and I can't control that. I can't control what people tried to teach me. But I don't have to pass that on. I don't have to be a leader in our city that views people who don't look like me disparagingly. And I don't, even though I interact with other leaders in our city who own different things and do different things, who still operate that way. And they assume that I would operate that way by the color of my skin. And they get shocked when they start talking to me because I don't play these games that they be playing. I was handed something, but I do not have to pass that on. The things that I heard, <laughs> there are people in my orbit will never hear those things. They will never be told that those things are right. Because they're not. But it had to stop somewhere. And it stopped with me. And I say that to you because some of you are watching and you have a tension on the inside of you connected to your words. And, and the tension is that there's some stuff in your heart. Maybe there are some prejudices in your heart. There is some racism in your heart. There is some discrimination in your heart. There are some things that you believe about our fair city and they're not rooted in reality. They're rooted in the story being tried to told you. And, and, and it's hard for you to draw a line in the sand because that's what mama told me. And I love mama. Listen. Love your mama, but realize your mama may have been wrong. You can love your dad and also realize on this issue, your dad is wrong. Your grandfather is wrong. Grandmama, you was off over here. Uncle, I know that was funny to you, but it ain't funny to me. I'm going to draw a line in the sand because I will not pass on what was handed to me. If it looks like that, what am I telling you? 
You better check your heart before you wreck your city. See, I think one of the primary issues our city has is a heart problem. The issue is that we are comfortable enough saying these things. We're comfortable enough acting these ways because your heart reveals through your words. Your heart is revealed. It's not just a joke. Your heart is revealed through your words. And if you never check, evaluate, and sift through whatever it is you've been handed, through the word of God and through sound theology, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you need to understand me. You'll pass on what should have stopped with you. And this is true and goes on in all directions and in all facets of diversity. See, I'm talking to some of you who are young. And the truth is, is there is disdain that comes out of you towards anybody or anything that is old. If that's an old song, there's no way you can like it. If there's an older person, there's no way they can teach you anything. You have a heart problem. This is also true with older people who don't believe they can learn anything from anybody younger than them or that anything new or anything present is any way good. If you only, it's not just reminiscing about the good old days. Maybe the good old days weren't so good. They're just days that those who are younger than you can't check because they weren't there. And maybe the reason you don't enjoy the present, maybe the reason you can't learn nothing from somebody younger than you is because you have a heart problem. This goes to people with means who look at people that don't have very much financially. I think the only reason that people don't have things financially is because they don't work hard. That every person who doesn't have a lot must be lazy. But it also goes to people who don't have very much. And look at people who may have a lot, may own a business or businesses, may drive a nice car, may live in a fit, may live in a house that they could never wrap their mind around having that much square footage. They go on vacations and they do stuff, and you think they're just greedy and selfish, and if they would do it, maybe you have a heart problem. Maybe you have a heart problem. That doesn't mean that all people that have stuff are perfect or all people that have no, 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 no. But if you put those absolutes over people, that's not saying something about the people you're passing judgment on. That is a revelation of what's going on in your heart. This is to white people who have never had people in their house, eating at their table, sitting in their living room that don't look like them. And this is the black and brown people who have also done the same. Who there's never been somebody that don't look like you that ever came over to your house for dinner, ever sat around the, 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 in, the, in the den and watched a game with you. Why? Why? You'll crack jokes, but your words are revealing. Your words are revealing. You'll say things. Your words are revealing. 
See, what I want you to understand today, friend, is that your words matter because your heart matters. Your words matter because your heart matters. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, to guard your heart because it influences everything else in your life. One translation says that everything you do flows from it. The reason your words are significant is because they are what turn the light on for us into your heart to see what's actually going on in there, to see what you actually really, really think. What I want you in my prayer for you today, if any of this on this journey has started to rub you or stretch you the wrong way, please understand maybe it's not stretching you the wrong way. Maybe it's trying to be a cue for you. Maybe it's a symptom of a heart problem. Maybe the words that come easily out of your mouth, maybe the disparaging notions that are so easy for you to say about people that live over there, people that look like that, the, 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 the climate or context of our city, maybe it comes out of you so easily because it's a revelation that you have a sick heart that needs some healing. Because your words are revealing. It's time to check your heart. See, your words matter because your heart matters. And your words reveal because your heart conceals. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is filled up in your heart, that's what comes out of your mouth. Because nobody can see into the deep recesses of your heart, but we can hear what you say. And the inclination of our heart is to hide and to bury. And don't let anybody know. Put a filter over that and another triple filter it. So that way maybe nobody ever knows how I really feel. I grit and bare my teeth to get through Your words bring revelation to what's actually going on. The way we see what's in your heart is through the words you say. And if the words that you say damage, despair, and destroy the city God placed you in to work and watch over, you have a heart problem. And so, can I give you a few questions to check yourself with very quickly? Not even to answer them for you but to let them linger and to let you ponder and process. But why do I talk the way I talk about the place God has me to work and watch over? Maybe I have hit that nail on the head in these last few moments. Maybe I haven't gotten there quite yet, but you're worried because I'm close. Why do you talk the way you talk about the place that God has you to work and watch over? Do I speak, ask yourself this, do I speak from my experience or from others' experience or from someone else's narrative? Because sometimes you're just re-communicating the narrative that somebody is handing to you. Do I speak with vision for the future or revision of something that happened that now has been construed to carry out the narrative that's trying to be propagated. Or maybe you just ask yourself, what's the source? Who told me that? 
Why do I believe that about them? Your words are powerful. And your words, the things you say and don't say, they're revealing. But also, write this last one down. Your words are shaping. Your words are actually the raw material that begins to form and create what is and what will be. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 11 says this. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. A city is destroyed through the mouth, the words of the wicked. You know, humans make sense of the world through stories. We do. We resonate with stories. In fact, as a communicator, it's something you just learned. I could be teaching you the best principle. I could be clapping and encouraging and shouting and trying to get you. But if I say there was a day when I, everybody leans in. Or one time I knew a guy, everybody leans in. Because we are hardwired for story. There's this great discussion that goes on in how to help people see the world. And it's whether it's through a narrative paradigm or through a rational world paradigm. In other words, give me the scientific facts of all things or tell me a story. You know, this is why we love books. It's why we love movies. It's why we listen to podcasts. It's why even brands that make us feel a certain way, we have a devotion to because they make me feel uh, slim or they make me feel powerful or it makes me feel successful. When I put this on, they tell me when I drive this, it makes me feel. You're not buying the thing. You're buying the narrative. And I need you to understand that through your words, you're creating shaping the story that you experience. You see, your words are shaping because your words are infectious. They're not just powerful in strength. They're powerful in that they stick with people. I was speaking at a, at a college service a couple of years ago. And in praying and preparing to go speak to these students, I really felt led to speak on the city God had them in. And if I remember correctly, it was you know Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I'm sorry, not 11, Hebrews chapter 13, or maybe it was Matthew 10. Either way, it was a, it was a, a sermon built around city and a sermon built around caring for the place God has you in. This is one of the themes of my life. One of the themes of our ministry it is to care well for the place that God has you in. And so I preached and then as it 
typically goes afterwards, you spend some time talking to people like we do at services in person or when I'm speaking other places, you just spend time talking to people. Sometimes you answer questions. Sometimes they get to pray for people. Sometimes it's just whatever. And one of the leaders of this ministry came up to me and said something to me that she meant as a compliment and it was, but it also broke my heart at the same time. She said, I've been living in Memphis for a while now. And she said, I've never heard anyone speak with hope, possibility, and goodness about our city. Not at church. Not at something I listen to. She said, never. The only words that could come to my mind in that moment were what James says when he talks about how salt water and fresh water can't come from the same source. That despicable and disparaging words shouldn't come out of my mouth. And I remember telling her, I said, I am so sorry because this should not be. There's an organization here in the city that uh, a company, actually, that I help uh, with their community service work. Anytime they're looking for a project to do, anytime they're wanting to try to serve as a company, get the people that work for them involved in the community, I, I, I work with them on this. And because of that, they bring me into their office for their team meetings um, three or four times a year to, to talk, speak, share, talk about projects we're working on, ways they can get involved, all this kind of stuff. And um, the last time I was there was at the end of November, and uh, my friend was introducing me, who was one of the one of the leaders of this this company. And she's introducing me, and uh, she introduced me saying that it was through conversations that her and I had had that, as someone who was a lifelong resident of the Mid South. She said she started loving Memphis. These were her words. Not just using Memphis. Simply through our conversations. Not through a sermon. I don't know if she's a church person. She don't come here. At least that I'm aware of. And if you do, what up? Like, um, not through anything that you may think would be shaping. Not through an advertisement, not through a, a story that gets shared and reshared, not through a tweet that gets tweeted and retweeted, but through conversations, through just talking. And rather than speaking with condemnation, speaking with confidence, rather than speaking with disdain, speaking with possibility for what might be. She said, it has changed me. That's because your words are shaping. The words that you are saying about the place that God has called you to, to work and watch over are shaping the people you live with. They are shaping your children if you've got them. They are shaping your friends that you hang out with three nights a week. They are shaping your classmates. They are shaping your employees. They are shaping your boss. They are shaping your neighbors. They are shaping the people you are near and around. And I say this so strongly because I want you to know, friend, we cannot change the reality of our city until we change the story of our city. 
We cannot change the reality of our city. We want his kingdom to come here now. We want Memphis to look like heaven. It's a great prayer in it. But we cannot change the reality of our city until we change the story of our city. Until we begin to change the conversation, the narrative, the perspective that people have about our city. And we cannot change the story of our city until we change the story of our neighborhood. Some people want to change the whole city. It's a beautiful endeavor. It starts right here in the neighborhood. It starts right here in the place that God has planted us to watch and work. You know, that is why we work and serve and build and invest here first. You know, we have for years heard from our neighbors in the community, from um, the school leaders in the community, from parents of kids, that there's a need for free, fun activities for families to do together in the neighborhood. And that's why last year we made it a priority and once a quarter we threw an event, had a party, our movie nights, the, the, the various events that we will have going that are just free. It doesn't cost anybody anything, but it's a way to be a blessing to our community, to let families eat and laugh and have fun in a safe and, and uplifting environment. And we're getting ready for that this year. We're getting ready for our Easter party right now. On the Saturday before Easter, we're going to throw a party party. And it's going to be fun with Easter eggs and with, and with food and inflatables and all this kind of stuff. It'll be a wonderful time. But it's because we know that we have to change the, the narrative in our neighborhood. And that that thing can change the narrative in our city. When people say, I had the best time in Berclair. When around the corner from my house, man, was the funnest thing ever. It lifts up a neighborhood that lifts up a city. That's why we got to be about it. Because the words that people speak are shaping. That's why we host events in our facility. Some of y'all know this, some of y'all don't, but this year we'll have... Uh, Six Friday nights, by the time it's all said and done, we'll host uh, wrestling right here in our facility. Because how great is it that uh, people would come to our neighborhood and have a great time, have fun as a family, as an individual. And so we say, yeah, let's be about this. Let's help. Let's, let's go with it. We have a company in April that'll start hosting trainings here once a week for, for a couple of months. Well, why do we do that? Because we want to bring them into the neighborhood and give them the best experience they can. It warms my heart when people who, who come in with businesses from outside, they say, you know, I do this professionally and I go and I speak in different venues and I've never been to a better venue to host this in than the venue I'm in right now. I've never seen things be able to be taken care of better. And that speaks well of our city. That's why we're working right now on a systematic plan to make sure every street in the neighborhood that we represent is touched, served, and loved by us multiple times a year. That our neighborhood is clean. I don't care what Public Works does. We'll get them fixed while we clean it up. 
We'll get them doing what they're supposed to do while we take care of the problem in the immediate. It should not be broken down. It should not be forgotten. It should not be in disrepair. And we gonna work to change that narrative. Because our words are powerful. And they reveal. And they shape. You see, we can change our world if we can change our words. But we won't change our words if we won't let God change our heart. Some of you, the reason you have a hard time even getting excited about the work that we do in the city and around the city and even these little anecdotal things and the many things I'm going to be sharing next week. The reason you don't get that excited is because... Um, There's something in your heart. Maybe you've got it filtered up pretty good. You don't really say the stuff you want to say. But the problem is the seed of that is still in your heart. And if you could and you do around the right people, let it fly. But today as we close, I want you to pray the prayer the psalmist prayed. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer. Father, I pray today that you would purify our hearts, refine them, point out those things that don't bring honor to you because they're not honorable about people created in your image. They're not honorable about the place you have called us to work, watch, and care for. And so God, more than I ask you to change the way we talk, Father, I pray you would clean out our hearts. Because when we clean out, when you clean out our hearts, our words will change in response. We will speak with vision and we will speak with life and we will speak with hope and we will not speak with disdain and discrimination. Prejudice won't have a, 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 a leg to stand on in our conversation because you cleaned our hearts out. And so, Father, today I pray that you would work in us and on us, in our hearts till this place you've called us to, till Memphis looks like heaven. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.